a moment like this for me, and I'm sure for everyone here in varying degrees, uh, stirs a lot of memories. Memories of places and people. It's good to remember. We cannot live in the past, but we can learn from it and live off of it. The ministry of memory. Jesus said, remember me. More often than any other command in the Old Testament, we read that we are to remember, to remember. We're prone to forget. As someone has said, remembrance is the wellspring of virtue, but forgetfulness is the fountain of vice. Terrible to forget. So the words from a great stalwart veteran of the faith who had scars on his body, scars on his wrist from chains, imprisoned, whipped, beaten, left for dead because of his commitment to his commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. His words are appropriate for any occasion, but particularly so for today. For one of Paul's metaphors for the church is an army. An army. And so he writes to Timothy, in second letter to Timothy, or second Timothy, second chapter, these words. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace. Paul loved that word because it was the basis of his salvation as it is ours. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I'm sure most of the folks in this room today the vast majority of us in this room today profess to be Christians. And those who are Christians were not drafted into the kingdom of God and the army of the Lord. There are no draftees in God's service. Only voluntary enlistment. Some of you will remember and see occasionally in museums the poster of Uncle Sam with his finger pointed saying, I want you. Well, I'd like for you to see someone who is king of kings, lord of lords, crown on his head, a cross behind him, looking at you and you and you and me and everyone else saying, I want you. I want you. I want you. But you have to enlist. I'll not force you, I'll not coerce you, I'll not compel you, but I will call you and I invite you to sign up to be a follower of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means that you are committed to Him. You're committed to Him.
When you and I accept Christ as Savior, we no longer have control of our lives. The Bible says we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? If you love me, keep my commandments, my orders, my instructions. You and I as Christians are men and women under orders. Our feelings may fluctuate. Our preferences may alter. But our commitment to the words of our commander-in-chief are unalterable. You and I are men and women that belong to him, and we are his army. We are his people. We are to be his witnesses, his commission to us. He called us, he converted us, and he has now commissioned us. And no one ever retires from the army of the Lord. No one. You may be assigned different duty because of age or infirmity or one other cause or another, but no one ever retires from the Lord's army. Nobody. No one in the Bible ever retired. Nor are we. We may sometimes get tired, but we do not retire. I've been tired many times in the Lord's work. I'm not tired of the Lord's work. There is a big difference. Every one of us in this room has been called to commitment. It was a serious offense in the Marine Corps, and I'm sure in every other branch of service as well, for someone to go AWOL, absent, without leave. I dare not do that. Absent without leave. How many Christians in America today in this wonderful land of the free and the home of the brave who profess to be Christians are absent without leave in the service of God. What a horrible indictment. The captain of our salvation to give us a commandment and we disobey. We ignore. We go our own way. In the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a story called a parable. And he says this, let me read it to you. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to, the, to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. I want you, I want you, I want you, I call you. I need you. I love you. Follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but it's for you. You go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. King, subject. Go do the work of the kingdom. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, now those are, th this is not, you know, Buckner did not write this. These are not my words. They're my Lord's words and your Lord's word. The, word, the one you and I profess to believe and to follow and to love and want to serve. This is Jesus talking to us. 
And succinctly stated what he is saying here in response to these three individuals is number one, don't come. Don't even come if you're not willing to sacrifice some comfort. Don't even start. We're not talking about a bed of roses. We're talking about a crown of thorns. Don't come. If you're not willing to make sacrifices. Number two, don't come unless you're willing to respond when called. God constantly calls people, repeatedly invites people, but there come times in individuals' lives when God's call is so clear and so positive that I am concerned that if you pass that moment, it becomes increasingly easy to put him off and increasingly difficult to respond to that call. When you hear him call, you respond to him. Don't put it off. Come when you're called. And don't come if you're going to drag your feet. Don't come if you're going to drag your feet. You know the word uh, pagan... The word pagan comes from a Latin word, pagamos, which means a person who is unwilling to serve when called. That's what a pagan is. Not just somebody who does horrible things, although they may do that. The derivation of the word is somebody who hears the call, sees the need, knows they're wanted, and do nothing. Which is why Dante said, the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in an hour of crisis do nothing. Commitment. Everybody is for freedom until it begins to cost something. I read that on an old war bond or a liberty bond advertisement during World War II. I don't remember where it was, but it stuck in my mind. Everybody's for freedom until it begins to cost something. Everybody's for the kingdom of God to reign in America and change America. Everybody's for it till it begins to cost them. Everybody's for the proclamation of the gospel until it begins to cost something. Everybody's for the church. Wouldn't want to live in a community where there were no churches, would you? Would you want to live in a community where there were no churches, no Christian bookstores, no Bible study groups? No fellowship in the Lord? Would you want to live in a community like that? Of course you wouldn't. Everybody's for the church until it begins to cost something. Some time, some energy, some money, some effort, some enthusiasm. Everybody's for it. Pagans who refuse to serve when called. How often we are ruled by our feelings we let our feelings take over and dominate our wills and control our lives. And so we live like uh, waves on the surface of the ocean, just up and down and up and down and foaming and running without any stability or strength. A man who made a, a powerful impact upon my life was my drill instructor on Paris Island, Sergeant McGowan. I will never forget him. I was there in uh, 
November and December and part of January, coldest weather in the world over there on Paris Island, a horrible place, had been a Navy prison. They gave it to the Marines and they turned it into a boot camp. And that's right. Oh, that's Sergeant McGowan. He, I did not like Sergeant McGowan. I said some bad things about Sergeant McGowan. I didn't say any bad things to Sergeant McGowan. I did have enough sense to know not to do that, but I had said some bad things about it. But you know what? After I got out of boot camp and then later on, particularly after I got out of the Marine Corps, you know, he helped me become a person. I learned more from my time in the United States Marine Corps than I did anywhere else in terms of knowing about myself and about the world in which I live and about people. I wouldn't take for it. I didn't like him at the time, but I like him now and respect him now for what he lovingly <laughs> helped me do. <laughs> and I have visited his grave in the Punchbowl Cemetery, the National Cemetery of the Pacific, for he was killed on Iwo Jima. So I love and appreciate Sergeant McGowan. Now, I can imagine on those rainy, cold, dreary days at Paris Island, if I'd gone in uh, to see Sergeant McGowan and I walked in, saluted, said, uh, Sergeant McGowan, sir, um, I know you'll understand this. I waked up this morning with a little case of sniffles. <laughs> and, and I feel a kind of cold coming on. And I, I know you understand that. And and I think, if, I know today we're supposed to have eight hours of close order drill, four in the morning and four in the afternoon. And, and I'd love to do that, but I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like I'd be better off tomorrow if I could just stay in today and kind of relax and take a little medication and get over this, these sniffles. Well, Sergeant McGowan would say, why, Buckner, of course. <laughs> why didn't you tell me sooner? Oh, I understand that. I've had the sniffles occasionally myself, and I know how upsetting that can be. Oh, yes, yes. You just sack out the rest of the day. Can we do anything for you? <laughs> can I get you some hot tea or something? <laughs> yeah, you laugh. I laugh too. I cannot say in this congregation, composed of young people and and uh, adults as well, I cannot say what Sergeant McGowan would have said to me under those circumstances. <laughs> but I promise you, did you see an officer and a gentleman? Uh, Lou Gossett played the part of a Marine Corps drill instructor and an officer and a gentleman. Let me tell you, Sergeant McGowan would have said some things to me that made the language of Lou Gossett sound like Mother Teresa. <laughs> oh, what an artful individual he was in the use in the use of the English language. <laughs> I wouldn't take for that though because he taught me some things and the Marine Corps did and God has fortified those through the years and that is of commitment. What is required of a steward, a soldier, a follower of the Lord, but that he be what? Faithful. Semper Fidelis. Always faithful. Not just con when it's convenient to do so, not just when it is socially acceptable to do so, but always faithful. Commitment. 
He's saying here also to Timothy, have courage. Have courage. Everybody knows what it is to be afraid. Be afraid. And courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is just refusing to let fear control us. Not letting it overcome us and dominate us. One of, my, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, those words from the Lord to Joshua, who was elected to succeed the great commander Moses after 40 years of leadership in the wilderness and on the threshold of the promised land. Here's Joshua assuming that command, and God says to him, Now I know you're going to be afraid. It's just it's natural. You're stepping into some big shoes and you've got a big job to do. But listen, you be strong and of good courage. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Courage. It's a startling thing to look into the book of the Revelation in the 21st chapter, almost the last words of the Bible. And listen to this. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. Here's the resurrected, triumphant, eternal Christ in all of his Shekinah glory, the beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes, in other words, that word means commits himself, shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, that's the first word in this indictment of iniquity. The cowardly and unbelieving. Puts cowardice ahead of unbelief. The cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The number one indictment, cowardice. Cowards. Be strong and of good courage. For the Lord your God will be with you. And he will change your life. He will shape us up. We will get in condition. We will get into platoons and companies and battalions and regiments. And they're meeting all over this city right now. Different battalions, different platoons, Different regiments, under different names, but all serving under the same commander-in-chief. Maybe wearing different outward uniforms, but the same inner commitment to Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What manner of men and women ought we to be then in the light of what he has done for us and is doing for us as our commander-in-chief? I was fortunate to be selected on the Marine Corps rifle team after the war was over. We were in Japan. I'd gotten very fortunate in firing on and qualifying for the, with the M1. And uh, 15 of us out of the 2nd Marine Division were picked to fire in some rifle competition in Honolulu. And uh, this was early 46. So they put us on a C-47 and we flew to to Iwo and to Marcus and to Wake and then to Midway and then finally uh, to Honolulu. 
We stopped at Wake and we spent a day and a night there. Now, Wake Island is the Alamo of the Marine Corps where Colonel Devereaux and a few Marines held out uh, as long as they could without any opportunity for supplies to get to them or reinforcement. It's one of the great stories of World War II. And we stopped there. And we as the Marines felt like we were walking on holy ground. And uh, after we left, war was over and most men came home. And I later read in the Marine Corps magazine about what happened on Wake Island. The troops who were left there and stayed there, their morale was just terrible. They were getting drunk and they were fighting and their spirit was just horrible. And so uh, the colonel, the commander of the, of the base, had a big sign built and placed it over where the bunker had been where Colonel Devereaux and those forces fighting the Japanese during those war, that war where they had been billeted and where they had tried to win and lost. And here's this big mound there. Well, the commander at Wake Island had this big sign painted up there and it was right on the route between the PX or the slop chute as the Marines called it, all the way from the PX back to the barracks. And the sign read, brave men lived and died on this hill so you could live to make a damn fool out of yourself. Well, it changed their behavior. A brave man died on a green hill far away so you and I could live to make something out of ourselves. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For he has called you to active duty, combat duty. Maybe some of you would enlist this morning for the first time to accept him as Savior and Lord. Maybe others to come say, I want to be a part of his army in this place. I want to train here and work here and encourage here and serve here. So whatever God's Holy Spirit prompts you to do, this is his invitation, not Buckner's. He stands here and says, I want you. Enlist and come. I'll be here to greet you and welcome you. Let's stand and let's sing. Just as I am with